What's up, y'all? Welcome to the Rideshare Rodeo, gig economy news and interviews, sponsored by Para and ParaWorks. I'm your host, SJ. It's time to get it on. Welcome back here to another edition, another episode, another week of Rideshare Rodeo. Now in its fourth year. Wow, that's that's interesting to say. I don't think I've ever said that before. No, and it's the audio podcast, Rideshare Rodeo. Now in its fourth year. Yep. And the website, Ridesharerodeo.com, it still does redirect, but just stick with the name, guys. It will always, Ridesharerodeo.com will always take you where you need to be. Still working on some things of moving some things over, but um, the news site will still, it's still there and it will always be there. It will just become a portion of Rideshare Rodeo. And that will actually be happening somewhat soon. Um, I'm actually looking at having somebody help me with that because I just have not had the time and I don't see where in the near future I will have the time. So, welcome, 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 welcome everyone to the Rideshare Rodeo experience. Uh, yeah, that's right. I took a little part of the uh, um, Long Island experience from last week, and I added it. Uh, always liked that part of their name. But um, yeah, welcome to the Rideshare Rodeo, guys. And I want to uh, let's see. I want to my, my I want to make an op- I want to make one opening comment here, and I already talked about it last week on a, a handful of things that I did. So I won't dwell on it too much. I just want to make a point here that now in the United States, again, just the United States, this does not represent the world of rideshare or the world of delivery. But here in the United States, there, this, this calendar year, there have been more attacks on delivery drivers than rideshare drivers. I I never thought I would see the day. Um, I mean, I guess everybody's exposed, but I I mean, I always doing rideshare always felt you know way more dangerous, <laughs> especially if you weren't you know it takes a certain person to to do it and to be good at it and to know how to read the read the situation or as you might say read the room, which in this case would be the car. And you're, you know, your passenger and don't be afraid to cancel. Don't be afraid to lock doors, not let them in. Wrong names, drunk. Um, there's just so many tactics to rideshare, which was part of probably why I enjoyed it, because it, it was a lot like uh, my years in the bar, you know, and it was um, it just came very naturally to me. Um, you know, obviously every trip I take with a passenger, I, w- I want that to go as well as possible and I want to have a a nice conversation or if they want it to just be quiet and everything. But the bottom line is I want it to be safe. Um, I am there to provide information if they need it about my city. I am there to have a conversation with them if that's what they, how they would choose to spend the time in the rideshare, Or if they just want to be quiet, uh, be on the phone, be texting, whatever they want to be doing. Um, that's up to them. As long as they are nice and, uh, you know, not drunk, not throwing up, not trying to attack me, um, nothing like that, then I, I'm all for whatever type of ride it is, you know, and I can, and I can fit that bill. Um, it's like the, it's like the bar industry again, you know, it's, you gotta be a chameleon. Some people aren't looking to talk. Some people are looking to, to talk all the time. And then some people come in and get a drink and they're having a bad day and they don't feel like talking, but normally they're a talker. And so, you know, it's, you you gotta, you gotta read the room. You gotta, you gotta read your people. Sometimes 
a bad day and I'm not trying to say alcohol solves this. It doesn't, but sometimes it just loosens you a little bit where even people I know very well in the bar industry would come in every single day. They were that kind of regulars, even if it was just for a drink or two before leaving. And, um, and you know, some days they might come in, they might not want to talk, but they might have a drink or two and then want to talk my ear off for 10 minutes before leaving. So, you know, sometimes it just, uh, you, you just never know. You know, I always say you never know what's going on with somebody. So I just wanted to make that point because I think that, again, I, I, if, you know, I need to say I never, ever thought I'd see the day, you know, um, taxi drivers before rideshare drivers and then rideshare drivers. We've all just had that's just kind of inherently part of the gig is that know how to read your your clients, know how to not be afraid to cancel uh, know how to, um, you know, know how to know how to know your surroundings and every and everything that comes with that, you know, like, and again, biggest thing, just, you know, don't, if you are doing rideshare, clearly, if you're good at it, and you've been doing it a while, you're, this is no news to you, but don't be afraid to cancel. It's not a big deal. Just cancel. Um, I mean, it is a big deal that we shouldn't have to be doing that that often. But it's much better if you feel Look, if your gut tells you cancel this ride or don't do this ride, 100% go with your gut. 100%. Because I honestly, I believe in that kind of stuff. First of all, I believe if you're, if, if you're getting a bad vibe, if it's not well lit, if you're picking somebody up or, you know, if, if you say somebody's name and you have the door that's locked, it's late at night and you're not in a well lit part of town and, and you're picking somebody up and you say the guy's name and somebody says no, but he called us the ride. I mean, like all these kind of like how you deal with them triggers are how you deal with them. You know, like do you want to just say, "Hey, hold on a minute," while I call the person to uh, verify that he that the car is for you, um, or do you just feel um, you know want to cancel and get out of there? Um, do you feel like taking the ride when outright they've said to you that they're not the the person? Um, these are just factors, you know, these, these are certain things. Um, but yeah, uh, that, I just wanted to mention that. So let's, uh, let's summarize and, and put this to sleep for now because, uh, it has been killed off. Uh, Colorado Senate bill 23098. We've had Stephanie Vigil on the podcast before we've had her on the YouTube channel. We've had, I've had multiple conversations with her. I've sent emails with her. Um, she is the um, freshman house uh, house member for, here in Colorado, a Democrat from Colorado Springs District, which is mostly and has primarily been, you know, very right leaning. So, um, you know, her taking that seat was kind of a big deal. That's a that's a that's a tough area to win in, and. One of the things about Stephanie, in case you haven't heard any of the prior things before I even get into this bill and what's happened, is that Stephanie was a gig worker prior to becoming a House seat member. So before she has no, she has she doesn't have a political background. She has a gig economy background. And to me, that's, you know, that can even prove to be more important. We need to get some more just people in office. You know, per, career politicians are are crazy, uh, and I, I, to me at least, I mean, I'm sh you know, we know there's some good people out there. There's people who do trade offs and still try and get their their parts of good agenda across, knowing that you gotta you gotta do some bad to get some good done. And I won't get into that too much this week because next week I'm actually really excited to be having um, JP's gig corner. If you guys aren't familiar with JP from YouTube, uh, because this is the audio podcast, um, he is, uh, well, let's just say this. I think JP is going to be a good guest to have on to talk about some of these kind of things and, and maybe, maybe kind of uh, help us all. JP and I can have a conversation about what... Um, well, about a lot of things we'll be talking about, but maybe one of them can be like what, you know, why everybody says, oh, pol politicians, they're all corrupt. I mean, uh, here's the thing. On some level they are, but 
you can't you can't just blanket say that um that's kind of like the in my opinion that's the parties wanting that's the parties wanting you to um vote down the ticket and just be like i don't care i don't want to know this stuff i don't care um and either you vote democrat or republic you know like so look i'm an in, i'm a registered independent voter that comes with some some hurdles you know um i can't i can't vote it depends on your state but i believe i don't think it's federal i know here here anyway i can't vote in the primaries because i'm not party affiliated so i can't vote for who will be the democrat uh runner and who will be the um re republican runner like that i'm left out of things like that because i'm not with the party but i'm i'm okay with that i'm okay with it getting to because i have a feeling that we all know you know you know by a certain point who the who the elect is going to be it's never like oh like the actual voting that goes on where it comes down to the wire real close a lot of times usually it's pretty somebody's pretty far ahead with the party because at a point the party kind of gets has to get behind somebody they can't kind of be split between two they need to make it look like they are really with this guy so that that kind of stuff happens and uh maybe one of the things hopefully he'll be okay with talking about is this because i think it's an explanation where it kind of takes away the all politicians are dirty because you know what they are <laughs> but um but you got to play a little dirty to 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 get anything done in politics maybe that's a way i can leave it for this week um and i'm not i'm not okay with that solution but that is what it is i mean can't all be like exact well i don't like that so we need to change that because obviously that's what we've tried to do for years how do we fix the um how do we fix the political cycle but the real problems are is that we don't fix the major problems the major i mean easy ones too if you guys remember in the 70s and 80s and maybe even early 90s but i believe campaigns were starting against it by then but i think their money was still rolling in but in that in those in those times in those decades uh big uh, um you know uh the cigarette companies were behind so much political money and when it was that they could only give a certain amount then they were using offshores and other things and they were funneling money in still and now it's um you know now it's it's uh big tech and big tech is the new cigarette um they are behind all kinds of politicians and here's where I'll I'll kind of get back on track and talk about Colorado Senate Bill 23098, which was co-authored by Stephanie V. Hill, who we just discussed, and another House member, and they had a senator backing the bill. So looked looked to be good to hit a House floor vote, right? Well, this is where I want to mention this because Again, I'm down the middle, and I vote on both sides of the ticket. I vote for, I actually vote for the candidates, not the party affiliation. Um, I think a lot of us agree that in a in a perfect world, the party the parties would just be dissolved. There would be no two party system, and you would run on your merit. You'd have a website. You would have some kind of verification that the things you're saying on your website are true. Um, the kind of things that we can just prove by fact like a science you know and um other but otherwise you'd just be running on that well are you republican or democrat i'm there's no parties anymore i'm neither you know i'm just me here's what i stand for that's what it would be but they just worry that too many people don't um look into it so they you know vote down the ticket and i'm going to tell you this is a reason why i would say don't vote down the ticket because look i'm not a republican I'm not a Democrat. I'm down the middle. Um, I lean certain ways on on different elections because I what is going to help what I believe will help the economy, what I believe will help homeless. Like there's a lot of factors that I have to take in. Um, so, but this bill that was supposed to hit the floor, um, it kind of got a surprise, abrupt ending before it ever even got that second wave of news. When it had hit the floor, we would have heard about it again in the news. 
sadly, two Democrats stood out against the bill who didn't really let it be known that they were going to do so. Um, they just kind of did it because my guess is I'm going to, I'm going to call it their handlers. Okay. Because these two Democrats are in bed with big tech. Um, and DoorDash was making that push to stop this bill for those not familiar, by the way, sorry, I haven't said this. I think we've talked about it a few times, but Senate bill 23098, <clears throat> had no money behind it. It wasn't about active time, hourly pay, um, mileage. There, there was no mo- dollar amounts and whatnot. This was a strict, look, show the driver 100% transparency on all the apps so they can make smart decisions about taking orders. And it, at the same time, it was about show the customers where the where their money is going to because the fees have gotten so outrageous with the service fee processing fee how little the driver makes they want the customers to see that and the only other part of the bill was for wrongful deactivations you have the right to challenge them um seems like these are pretty fair things you know transparency obviously transparency is something i've been fighting for since day one you guys know that but so of course i would be on board with something like this like i said in the beginning i had two issues are there pitfalls to there being um, union involvement in this either now or down the road? As far as we could see, um, there was none uh, in the actual language of this bill. Does that mean that behind the scenes, the unions aren't saying, okay, we'll help you get that through and then the next thing and then, but then you owe us one. And that's where W2 model comes in and that I wouldn't be for. Um, and the other thing that I was worried about and concerned about is what happened that without money behind a bill, it's going to be hard. And in this case, I've, you know, I looked at, I looked at the financials. It was about three quarters of a million dollars to get this bill. Like if it, if it had passed on a floor vote to get it actually kicked and what would be needed from tax taxpayers money to get this thing off the ground was about 700 grand. Um, you know, you might be saying, God, another 700 grand that we shouldn't be spending. But honestly, that is a, that's a big win in terms of not only for, if you're thinking about DoorDash and Uber and these other things, but it's a big win for, um, uh, for all independent contractors in Colorado, because it's things like this that could lead to bigger nets, like an AB5 or something, which we don't want. We don't need that here. And that's not what is going on here. But that's, you know, that's another concern of mine. Are you, are you rattling the cage a little too much? Are they going to, you know, if things don't, or if things flip and go the other way, will they see that as a sign of let's, let's take this on. So look, I, I, I think that transparency is what is needed across the country. Um, I know with JP here next week, we will absolutely be talking about regulation. And I know we don't want to talk about it, but we kind of need to because, um, well, yeah, because, I mean, I, I none of us want it. You know, you open the door to regulation. It's another thing. You open that door, it's hard to shut that door and say, okay, that's enough. We're good with that. Like, once you open the door to regulation, you open the door to changes in regulation and this and that and the other and more government involvement that really even those of us that are at the point where we think this needs to be done um we just nobody really none of us are like out begging for government regulation in a perfect world this wouldn't be needed however um, we might be nearing a point where some regulation is needed the problem with that being that <laughs> you know, it, even if it sounds amazing in the beginning, regulation turns into more regulation. You can look it up in not just gig space, but anywhere. It's a fact. It happens all the time. Um, I, okay, so we got some rideshare things here going today. But first thing I want to talk about here is um, so a, a quick DoorDash story. So. Look, DoorDash is um, well. Let me let, let's just roll through this and let, let, let's see what you guys think. And again, guys, make sure that uh, you leave comments in whatever pod player you're leaving, you're you're listening to, whether it be Spotify, Apple Music, Google, um, Pandora, Amazon, 
um, or any pod player in the world because we're on them all. If you guys leave comments, there is an app that runs on the at least on the primary apps and even a lot of the primary pod players that collects comments from any of them. So please, whatever pod player you're leave you're listening on, don't just assume that because I might not use that pod player, I won't see your comment. I I should. Um, I there is an app that I run that has that collects all the comments from all of the pod players, and that's something I haven't put out there before. So. Please leave comments about all these episodes. Um, you guys are pretty good about that. Or, as always, and I'll just plug it here, email me, steve at ridesharerodeo.com, S-T-E-V-E at ridesharerodeo.com. Okay, now let's talk about this real quick. DoorDash um, was considered by many to be invaluable during the COVID pandemic, where the services helped keep some restaurants in business Drivers received paychecks and customers got convenient food delivery. The service was good and and made the best out of a bad situation for all involved. Delivery convenience is something many people are comfortable paying extra for. However, while DoorDash has experienced great growth, it has also endured scrutiny as the company wasn't transparent in how tipping was being processed for its drivers. Hang on tight, folks. Customers thought that if they left a tip, the entire amount would go to the drivers. But this was not the case. The tip only went to the driver if the order amount met a minimum to cover the cost of the transaction. DoorDash was skimming the tips to cover its own costs. DoorDash has now stated that since um, since that happened, and by the way, happened twice. That's two times, people, that this same thing happened. But after the second time, um, DoorDash has since stated that it changed its tipping policy. Well, isn't that nice of them? Um, for those that didn't follow that, clearly, if you're not familiar with the DoorDash tip stealing and that's what it was we're not talking about potential this or potential that or transparency or what's behind the tip paywall or all this this is a fact they were caught red-handed oh it's almost like oh we can't steal tips i didn't know we weren't supposed to do that like it's like they they're like well we put it in the terms of service and they clicked to the box so okay you know again these click box things are just ridiculous um But so DoorDash holds a majority of the food delivery service market and is experiencing more pain points. The pain points come from both sides, its customers and restaurant partners. The customers are complaining about increased cost in using the delivery service, while the restaurant partners are the cause of the increased cost in the transaction. See, that second sentence I have a big problem with. While the restaurant partners are the cause of the increased cost in the transaction. How can DoorDash, this is DoorDash's comment too, how can they make that statement? So the uh, customers are complaining about the increased cost. Okay, fair enough. That's a fact. You guys are slowly increasing the cost. Also, customers have no idea that most drivers are paid a base pay of 2 to 250 you know, maybe more with some of the changes. And I'm not going to get into the actual schematics market to market, but we know that base pay as low as $2 to $2.50 exists. So if they're spending, you know, $70, $60 on, on a meal for two people from a restaurant that if they go to, they spend, you know, 40 with a tip. Well, now they're spending 65, 70 to have it delivered. They most people assume the drivers are are even if they're not like well the drivers must be millionaires, they're not. I can guarantee you that unless they've talked to somebody or have a family member or friend who works these platforms, they are not aware that that driver is making two dollars. There's no way, um, and that's why I think part of that bill would have been good. But for them to say that the restaurant partners are the cause of the increased cost, okay, well that's because DoorDash in their own way makes the customers pay. But for those that didn't know, this is DoorDash's tricky way of making the restaurants pay. 
So the even the restaurants, like, and if they don't want to, you know, each restaurant has worked out a different deal because we know that like McDonald's and some of the ones that are just so big and so, you know, they're going to get a better or a bigger deal or some, you know, some different things. So these are, these are dynamic and they're, and that's fine. That's, that's the life of business. However, um, the way it's been presented to me is that DoorDash it can come up with a number that you can pay kind of monthly or whatever to use the service or by volume or whatever. But they can also make it so that you, the restaurant, doesn't have to pay anything if you allow DoorDash to mark up the items. So when we hear about this 10 to 30% Instacart um, item markup, uh, that's kind of the same thing here is like, you know, well, okay, well, we're going to deliver your food. And if you don't have the money or you don't want to be putting out the money to be on the platforms online, we'll just charge more for your food. So, and a lot of businesses, they weren't even that upfront about um, that they were doing this. I mean, this has been a couple of times, this has been brought up and, you know, they, again, they've been caught stealing tips. It's, it's crazy guys. It is crazy. Um, but yeah, whatever you, if you, whatever you guys think about that, did you know about the DoorDash tip theft that happened twice, that they were caught in twice, that they admitted to twice, that went to court in California? I mean, are you aware that they've been caught stealing your tips two times and both times got away with a fine? And before we move out of that, I, I have one other thing I want to mention regarding crime. Um, the ex-Uber security chief that was sentenced over covering up the hack. Um, so we are talking about um, Joseph Sullivan. Uh, he was responsible for, was it, what, what was it, the 20? Um, he, he, I know he, he, he started with them in 2015, I believe. Let me look at this real quick. Uh, 2015, yes. Uh, and then in November 2016, um, a large amount of data was stolen. And Sullivan has agreed that the DOJ's statement is correct, that he paid $100,000 for a hacker in exchange for them signing non-disclosure agreements to not reveal the hack to anyone to cover up the hack of 57 million Uber, Uber users and 600,000 driving license numbers that were stolen. Um, so the chief security officer at the time, in late 2016, rolling into 2017, told he went out and spent $100,000 to get... A, his way of dealing with the hack was to get a hacker, spend $100,000 write up a non-disclosure and get this guy to to sign it and cover up the hack. Well, it got caught. It did take a little bit longer to get caught, but he's he's now faced his trial. Um, he was supposed to do... Um, I know that the prosecutors took into account that he was taking the fall for the company, even though it was under his command, and he says it was his fault. So they cut the prison sentence in half that the prosecutors wanted. They wanted a 30-month pr prison sentence. Okay, and um, and they wanted uh, a five hundred thousand dollar fine payable by Joe Sullivan, and they wanted thirty months. So the prosecutors took it down to five hundred thousand dollars from Sullivan, and to fifteen months, but that they wouldn't budge at all. Joseph Sullivan was found guilty of paying hackers a hundred thousand dollars after they gained access to 57 million records of Uber customers, including names and phone numbers. Here is what the judge gave him. Joseph Sullivan must pay a fine of $50,000. For those that weren't doing the math when I said it, it's one-tenth of the amount that he was supposed to pay, which already seemed low for such a big crime. And he was sentenced to zero, zero days in prison, but he was given 200 hours of community service. I don't even know what to say, guys. Um, if I, if, if you, me, anybody, anybody 
did this kind of stuff, we would be in jail for 30 months. I mean, they that's already being nice. 15 months, that would be a, a blessing. We're, I, thought, I thought this is a, time, a day and age we're taking cybersecurity more serious than ever. And we just let the guy who knew 57 million people had been hacked and should have let the people know so they could have like protected or watched their banks and other things to see if there was any kind of crazy discrepancies. But instead of doing the right thing, he went out and hired somebody for a hundred grand, had him sign a non-disclosure, this, that, the other. And he just got a slap on the wrist and is told to do community service hours, which we're sure, you know, like, let's be honest, guys. I can't say it a hundred percent for sure, but we know he's not going to pay this or he's not going to do those hours. So, um, and I don't know how I'm sure it's, <laughs> it shouldn't be, but somehow I even have this evil feeling like he's going to write off this $50,000 that he has to pay, which is already nothing. Um, so I say that because here we are talking about DoorDash getting caught twice, the company getting caught twice for stealing your tips. And then, and then how this guy's being finally he gets a court sentence from a 2016 2017 court case 6 years later and he gets nothing he gets off it if we did that we'd be in jail for years cybersecurity is very real it's getting worse and worse and worse what are we teaching people especially if we're letting these app based gig platforms get their people off without a day in jail for cybersecurity crimes. I mean, look, I guess let's not even get started on that because <laughs> I I don't know. I, I'm blown away by it. Um, and speaking of things I'm blown away by, <laughs> I am just really blown away by what Uber is doing. Okay, so guys, if you don't know, Uber Pool is back. It's been in like five cities um, for a little bit now, and they've been keeping it kind of chill and not even very apparent in those cities, just in certain areas. They were kind of doing testing, but now the testing has moved beyond testing and they're launching in five more cities, full-blown Uber pool, Baltimore, Miami, Nashville, Philadelphia, and Washington, D.C. Now have Uber pool. It's back. The world's worst way to travel. Um, look, before the pandemic, those of us rideshare drivers who knew of Uberpool, I know that me personally, I avoided it like the plague. Uberpool was the worst. It usually had me driving around either, you know, in the early morning hours when I could make better money or after work, right after work type things. And it was always going through the city, dealing with just tons of, of the of stuff trying to find multiple passengers for what the even Uber says is a 20 is a 20% savings for the customer and really if you do the time breakdown has no benefit to the driver um I don't know why you know maybe with these upfront pricings maybe they're going to come out good but I don't know why post pandemic we think it's a good idea to shove a bunch of people into a car um, I know that we're beyond the pandemic and I know that, you know, life has retur is returning to a different normal. Um, it's not one that so far I'm very impressed with, but, uh, you know, hey, I guess we all need to do our part to, to try and change that um, narrative. But, um, but this is not going to be good, in my opinion. People are going to be passing around germs like nobody's business. And I know we're, I, you know, we're kind of past that. We're kind of past that. And I'm glad in some ways, but at the same time, it's like, I've noticed this year, and I've talked to this about with many people that a lot of old flu and stuff we just kind of forgot about. People are not only getting it more, but they're getting it harder than you can ever remember having the flu. Because for a couple of years, we were told, don't go around people, put this mask on. You can't go in there. That place is closed. Oh, now it's open. Now you can get things to go from there. To, uh, things were so scrambled up that I, our immune systems, I, I honestly believe, took a major hit. Um, but I'm no doctor. <laughs> I'm just stating something that would make sense, would it not? Um, okay, so Uber Pool is back. Worst idea ever. Um, 
I want to give a shout out to Dark Road Run because I always think of Joe whenever I think of Uberpool because he always had some really funny videos on, on uh, <laughs> Uberpool. So uh, what up, Joe? Um, let's see. What else do we got here? Uh, okay, Lyft, Lyft's new CEO. What is up with this, guys? I have seen I've seen articles about... Um, I've seen articles that we, you know, that um, that he was with Amazon or that he did this or that, but he's he's what fifty six, I believe. He hasn't been in the game in a while, and never did he deal with. None of his positions were hospitality. Had anything to do with vehicles, and he never had to be in charge of a logistical nightmare. So those are the three big things with Lyft, especially since Lyft doesn't have food delivery and doesn't do this, that, and the other. Why didn't they do it? Who knows? When, you know, in March 2020, when the CARES Act went and we were all told to shelter in place and no, Rideshare died. Why didn't, why didn't Lyft immediately go to food? Um, and if they thought it would end in a couple of weeks, why in April or May of 2020 weren't they going to food? But that's beside the point. Um, so this new guy that's coming in has no, in the three major space or, or areas that I just said, where I consider you need to have good background if you're really going to try and be serious and take over Lyft. Um, those are three areas that you need to have a lot of background. He has none. Um, I don't, obviously, you know, there's some reason behind this guy, but I, I've said this a couple of times. I don't feel like this guy, I, what one thing that you guys can go take a look at. And again, you can find all the articles on rideshare Um, everything we talk about here and tons more. I don't even get to nearly all of it. Um, but here's the thing guys is that, uh, so if he's put in charge and they told him that, you know, they're paying him whatever they're paying him uh, as a salary, but I do know that they have like goals for him. So if by some chance he saves, and if you didn't see last week in the after hours trading, Lyft took another 20% hit. They're already well under 10 billion. I think they're around like five now. They lost another 20% of their value. So I don't know how much farther they're going, but I know if he is to pull them back around and really turn the company around, make a profit. I know he sits in a like a crazy position for what his salary would be and what his ownership of Lyft would be. But it it's kind of like this. It it it's like the end of the rainbow type thing. It's like it you know there's this just you're gonna make more than any CEO on the planet. Yeah, okay, but what you're asking him to do is impossible. Even if he turns it around, he can't reach that goal. So they kind of made it the out of reach, but it was, it's something crazy. Like over time, a billion or something, something ridiculous. Um, but he needs to fully engulf and like that involves getting into more countries, fixing what, fixing the rideshare service here. And so far, his fixing has been, um, he, he laid some people off. Um, then he, Last week, was it last week? He told uh, 2,600 more. And these are W-2 positions too, guys. So when we talk about that W-2, is it really that safe these days? Here's people who say, gosh, I work for Lyft as a W-2 worker. Oh, it, you know, everything I hear about being a driver sucks and the pay's gone down. It's too bad for them. Those people just, the W-2s just lost their jobs. The drivers can still drive. So... And it's not just Lyft. I'm just pointing this out as like, this is one of many companies who are cutting people left and right. Um, they just can't afford the overhead. So, um, but that's another thing we'll talk about with JP. This is the W-2 um, security blanket that used to be there, not being there anymore. Um, we'll talk about that next week. But so he's cutting 2,600 jobs. He laid off some before. Now he's telling everybody, every employee needs to return to the office. Even if like you've got a partial work from home or whatever, he's, he's, he's demanding them all back in the office. My thought on this is this guy is not doing the things he's been saying. He's not trying to make uh, Lyft 
the number one ride share in the country and really compete with Uber and all this, that, and the other. I feel like he's been he's been hired to go down with the ship and save and try and save some face and uh you know ride it out as long as he can but start start you know cutting dead weight and even start cutting some of what you do need in staffing just because the volume is down for Lyft let's be honest i mean you guys here's my my opinion with Lyft and it really worries me because there's some articles out there saying that Uber needs Lyft to exist um, for them to stay competitive and strong. I actually think that can be a little misleading because I think without Lyft, you don't have a nation. You don't have a you don't have a a, a nationwide competitor. You might have a couple of rideshares pop up in some cities here and there, but if you take out the nationwide competitor to Uber, even though it's not really competing that well but if you take out the nationwide competitor you know then what um because i would think that then lyft gets a run of the show or uber and there's a lot of articles saying that they need them because it keeps the pricing in line and without that you know and yeah i don't know i i believe that if here's my thought is that laying off employees um firing 2600 demanding them to come back to work so that hopefully a lot quit so you don't have to pay them unemployment um all of these tricks seem like exactly that tricks of a sinking ship if i'm lift what i want to do is i want to go to the lift uh you know the people driving the basic level lift and who get you know let's let's call it 55 60 cents a mile and 10 to 15 cents a minute in all these cities on Uber and Lyft, and that they're pretty close on that rate card. Um, even though it's an upfront thing now, I know, but let's just say it was the rate card, and it's kind of like that. Just go to a dollar a mile, boom. And I'm not talking about go 10 cents higher paying the drivers than Uber, but go up to a dollar a mile. It used to be there, and then price it out accordingly to the customers because you'll get the Lyft drivers cleaning their cars, caring more, fighting for taking all the rides, not canceling, not, not, you know, not pissing off customers because pride in a job should come from doing the work. But when you're in customer service or when you're doing rideshare and dealing with these people more than just how they tip you in the, in the food delivery space or in the grocery delivery space, you can get mad at them, but you're not seeing them face to face. When you're dealing with people in a face-to-face -face scenario um, and you're a lot happier at what you make, a lot less problems will happen. Your car will look nicer. You will be friendlier and customers will be happier. If customers are happier, customers will pay more money for the rides. I honestly believe that. And um, yeah, I think that I think that if this guy is serious about making a change in Lyft and making Lyft survive, I think that it is time to instead of cutting all dead weight, firing people, demanding back at the office, like the guy said, it's time to focus on the drivers. All I haven't seen that yet. I've just seen that he's just likes firing people and demanding people where where they be. But why doesn't he get aggressive on the on the driver's side and double what uber's paying you know and even if the company goes down it's it's clearly going down right now and i don't see any plan and again i mean like obviously would it be completely on every internet site for everybody to read the plan no but you know we have ways of finding out kind of what the ideas are going on behind them there's nothing been going on with lyft and i don't think there is now there's nothing to to try and get them out of of this hole it's it's more it's more just like we're gonna fix this how we're just gonna fix it okay so you're not gonna fix it because fixing it would entail a plan it would entail you knowing what you're talking about um so yeah there's that guys um and then the, the last thing i wanted to talk about this week uh is Uber playing matchmaker? 
I am uh, shocked to learn that Uber, in its ultimate wisdom, believes that um, it has the technology. First of all, we we all, I think we often agree on this podcast that it's not a technology company, and even the SaaS uh, software as a service excuse doesn't really fly when you're coming up with stupid ideas all the time. So VTOL and autonomous by tomorrow and this, that lies, lies, lies. They've just fed you lies over the years. And has that been, I I think I've started to figure out some, some patterns on how and why things have happened. Like Uber VTOL. Where's Uber VTOL by the way, because pre pandemic, they were dumping money into that more than autonomous. Well, where is it? I have a feeling that they take on these, they take them, we never see Uber make a profit, but look, we know that there are people at Uber who make profit. There are people who got in in 2008, 2009 with Travis Kalanick and are still pulling some money out. How would that be done on a publicly traded company, right? Because if it's not making a profit, nobody's making money. Well, I honestly believe that, first of all, there's some shifty bookkeeping going on. I believe it's extremely difficult to audit an algorithm. I think that the way that taxes are done, especially via Uber with rideshare, are very strange and unnecessary and confuse people to no end. Um, And I also believe that it's not beyond them to make sure that the people who were who got Uber off the ground are getting paid a profit, even though, wink, wink, there is no profit. And so what I think they do, and it might not be as simple as this, but I believe this is a part of it, is I believe, how many times have we seen Uber get into the scooter game and then get out and then get in and get out? If you look at those timelines, Uber gets into the scooter game like about a month before earnings come out. Or they get in, they dump a ton of money into VTOL or into Autonomous about a month before the earnings come out. So I feel like, you know, and clearly there'd be a lot of debate on this. And there's, and even with me and myself, I I could debate myself on this one because even I can pick apart things that I'm saying here right now. But I do believe there is something strange going on that relates to the earnings where when they allow themselves to be dubbed a tech company, it looks, it appears to people like, oh, well, they're tech. They're they're just trying new things. No, they're not. And they don't have any plan. VTOL is not even real, guys. I mean, VTOL is no realer than drones. That's as far as VTOL is. And that's as far as it'll be for a while. Will drones grow in size? Yes. Will drones be able to deliver some things? Yes. Everywhere for every Amazon package? No. These drones that can deliver right now even certain just minor amounts of weight, the amount these drones cost are not what we think drones cost. I mean, you're in the tens of hundreds of thousands for these drones. So can they? is it cheaper for them to buy these drones that will also break, be destroyed, or to test them in small markets instead because is it cheaper just to have drivers? Yeah, it's it not only is it cheaper, it's going to be cheaper for many, many, many years. We'll see some drone stuff and we'll see some videos of a drone delivery. And some people will say, oh, look, they're doing it now. But I mean, really, you know, what does it cost Uber to go out in a field, hire a crew and film a commercial of a drone delivery? And that's all they need to do and put it on the Internet and wherever else they want to market it. And people believe, oh, my gosh, they're doing drone deliveries. And they really like they manipulate the media all the time. They get free PR out of bad things they do. And uh, yeah, if Lyft doesn't step it up, guys, we for the rideshare space, we're going to have a crazy game. We're going to have Uber, Uber, Uber. And none of us want that. Um, so. What what's up this week other than that because that's a wrap for the week, folks. And I got JP on here next week. Looking forward to it. We're gonna have a good conversation. Join us back here. Um, remember to download the Para app and get started on ParaWorks catering gigs today. Um, guys, I'm hearing about them popping up all over now. We're we're 
we're hearing about areas because of the way it goes through our system that on para that that oh really it's there we don't even know and then we take it back to people and they're like oh yeah that would make sense because of this but it's like it it's in some areas it's even well beyond where we thought it was so get on there just connect one of your accounts if you're not familiar with the way para works um it's like or para the app works and then para works within it is just connect any one of your accounts um that you can through para through the api and uh, then you can go to just at the bottom in the app, just hit ParaWorks and say, I'm interested. And it will walk you through about a, uh, two or three uh, screens and you will be active to see orders. So uh, that's all it is. It's no more than any of these apps require these days to get information uh, for, for us like uh, Solo or um, you know any of the apps that re it moves that require like uh, you to connect things, you know? Um, and then, you know, Gary's apps and stuff. We, we all have to just, you have to be willing to connect some stuff if you want to, if you want to take advantage of the perks that some of these apps can offer. So, um, this Friday, the audio podcast that drops for you guys, the rodeo Roundtable, you won't want to miss it. Got a really good guest. It's going to be a lot of fun. Um, but we'll see you, uh, if you guys have any, uh, Again, I need to put this out there. If you want to email me, steve at rideshare Steve at rideshare I would love that. Uh, this is the weekly audio podcast. There's a lot going on over on YouTube as well. Um, so make sure that if you are up for that, you check that out as well. Uh, this drops every Tuesday, the rodeo podcast. And um, the Friday drop is the roundtable that we do every Thursday night, brought to audio that I bring and drop here on the podcatcher. So on, on the podcatcher, you can catch two a week. You can catch the Rodeo Raw, this one, the original podcast, and you can catch that and you can catch the round table, which is always a lot of fun. Um, but we'll see you back here next week for another episode of Rodeo. Have a great and safe week, y'all. Peace.